0: is there's always this biblical pattern for how the Bible dresses sin. And you can spend thousands and thousands of dollars at seminary learning this biblical pattern, or I can teach it to you this morning for free. And you can thank me later. Um, but we're going to look at this biblical pattern found in Scripture and, uh, and look at an example today. And, and the biblical pattern, is, it's very easy. It's just two steps. And you can't mix them up because you'll end up in the land of moralism and legalism or in the land of licentiousness, okay? So it has to be in this order. It has to be what to do fueled by what's true. What to do fueled by what's true. So that's what we're going to look at today, uh, just an example of this. So uh, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians 5, or you can look in your book you are going to look at just a few verses. I know last time I was here, I preached on an entire book. I'm just doing three verses today. Um, this is God's Word. It says, Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Clean out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. This is God's Word. Let's pray and ask Him to bless the preaching of it. Please pray with me. Father God, we come to You and we thank You that You have given us Your Word, that You've not left us alone uh, in our sin, that You have come and communicated truth to us so that we may know uh, more about You and more about ourselves and more about what You call us to and how You've also saved us through Jesus. And Lord, I pray that You would come through Your Holy Spirit and uh, that You would bless us, that we might be encouraged in the Gospel, that we might be reminded of who we are and what You call us to. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Solomon was a fisherman. And he had a wonderful family. He had a loving wife. And he had a son who was nine named Dia. And he loved him very much. But Solomon's life got flipped, turned upside down one week when the rebels of Sierra, Sierra Leone, where he lived, the rebels came into his town, and they kidnap him, and they kidnap his son. And they force Solomon to work in the diamond mines, and they take this boy who loves his father so much, and they begin to brainwash him. They begin to teach him um, things about the way that they do life. He be, they begin to teach him how to use machine guns. They force him to do drugs so that he gets addicted. And they even bring him to the point where they force him to execute someone. As a nine-year-old, a nine-year-old, to execute someone. And if you, have, if you haven't seen the movie Blood Diamond, this is what the movie is about. And I'm not saying that everyone should watch it. It's a very graphic, violent, rough movie. So if that's not for you, then don't watch it. Um, but as you watch this movie, you see that these rebels come and they take this little boy who's so sweet and, and so loving and they contaminate him, they corrupt him to the point where at the end of the movie, he pulls a gun on his dad who's been trying to find him the whole movie. They finally meet up and he pulls a gun on his dad and is ready to shoot him. And as you watch that movie, you just can't help but think like, how corrupted these rebels have made him how contaminated they've they've made Him. And I would say that's how sin comes and contaminates us. That's how sin comes and it corrupts our approach to life. It corrupts our thoughts. It corrupts our actions. It corrupts the things that we love. It corrupts our desires. But the Bible doesn't leave us alone. It doesn't just leave us in our sin. It comes and shows us this biblical pattern. It comes and shows us what we're to do fueled by what's true. So let's look at this example First you see what to do. You see in verse 7 what to do. It says, cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. Now, the verb here, cleanse out, is not just like take a take a rag and just kind of wipe it across the table and then you're good. This is like painstakingly, meticulously, um, thoroughly clean out the old leaven. Like, Clean it out, like go clean your houses like the president is coming to your house. Get on your hands and knees and scrub it. Clean it like your mother-in-law is coming to look at it and examine your house. Like you go and you clean it painstakingly, carefully. And Paul's using this metaphor of the old leaven. He's using this metaphor of leaven to mean sin. And that's what he's talking about here. And the reason that he does that is he's using this Old Testament metaphor from Exodus 12 and 13, which I know you want to read right now, but you can read it later. Um, where the Jews would have had to clean out the leaven from their homes before the Passover. And what they used to do is they had this cycle where they would make bread. They would, they would take leaven, which is fermented dough, and they would, they would add things to it. They'd be ready to, to take it and use bread. And right before they put it in the oven, they would take part of it out and set it aside for the next week. And so they would cook that bread and eat it that week. And then they'd take this little lump that was left over, And they would add things to it, get it ready to go into the oven, and they would take part of it out and put it for next week. And they would cook that lump and eat that bread this week. And So the cycle goes on and on and on like that. And so um, at the Passover, they have this thing called the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. And so instead of keeping the lump for the next week with the cycle, it stops the cycle. and says, I want you to understand that you're going to have an unleavened uh, bread this week. You're going to have a feast with unleavened bread without any leftovers from the week before. And the reason that, that, that Paul uses that is that this is symbolism to show how the Israelites got out from um, the rule of, of Pharaoh, how they were um, taken away um, from their oppression and from their slavery and how they're celebrated. Like they are a new people. They're not under that rule anymore. They're a new people. They're God's people. They're not Pharaoh's people anymore. They are new and they are, they are God's people. And you might say, well, why? Like, why is Paul doing this? Why is he talking about this? Um, you see this in verse 6. He says, do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? And what he's saying is, look, you have to clean out the leaven so that you can be a new lump, a, a pure lump, a clean lump. Uh, an uncontaminated lump, a new lump. And the Corinthians would have understood this is symbolism for how the Jews were delivered from the, from the Egyptians, how they were delivered from Pharaoh and how they were taken out from their oppression. And they would have understood that if they didn't clean out the leaven, that it would have corrupted the feast of the unleavened bread. And it's so serious that in Exodus 12 and 13, if you did not clean out all the leaven, you would be cut off from God's people. And so they would have understood the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, like the leaven and the unleavened do not mix. They don't mix. You can't do that. Just like the Red Sox and the Yankees, their fans do not mix, right? Seinfeld and Newman do not mix. The Kendrick family and anything, University of Alabama, do not mix. Like that just does not happen, right? That doesn't happen. And so they would have understood, the Jews would have known that the leaven and the unleaven cannot mix. And what Paul is coming and saying to the Corinthians is saying, just like they would clean out the leaven, you have to clean out the sin from your life. And that's what to do. Clean out the sin from your life. And you see there's a little bit of context here in verse 6 at the very beginning. It says, your boasting is not good. And so what's going on in, in the Corinthian church is the Corinthian church has this member in their group who is a man that, has, that is having an inappropriate relationship with his mother-in-law. And they are boasting about it. Like, yeah, he's still here. He's still coming. It's okay. We understand the Gospel better than you. And Paul is coming along and going, no, you have to get rid of this. You have to cast it out. You have to expel it. You have to get rid of this guy because he is contaminating what's going on in your church. He is corrupting what is going on in your church. And so they're coming along. He's, Paul is coming along and saying that to them, but then he's also saying it to them individually. And so for us, he's saying it to us, and he's also saying it to each one of us individually. He's saying, "You have to clean out the sin in your life. That's what God calls you to do. You have to clean out this, the sin in your life. Like it is a big deal. You have to get rid of it. You have to expel it. You have to, you have to cast it out." Because it is contaminating you, it's hurting you, it's destroying you. And see, so many times we just think that some of our sins are not really, it's not really a big deal. I mean, it's not not really making a big difference. It's not really going to destroy me or hurt me. It's not really going to contaminate me or corrupt me. Right? If I check that girl out when she walks by again, it's okay. No one will know about it. Right, if I fantasize about that guy in in my head, no one's going to know. It's okay. Like, what I look at on my computer, I'm the only one who knows. It's okay. It's not a big deal. Right? The way that we gossip about people, well, I'm just telling it like it is. It's not a big deal. Right? Our racist remarks, oh, I'm just joking around. It's not a big deal. Right? Like, our materialism, well, I'm not as bad as that guy. Like They have way more things than I do, so it's not a big deal. And what Paul is coming along and saying here is, look, your sin, it is a big deal. He's saying, no, get rid of it, cast it out, expel it, get it out of your life because it hurts you, it corrupts you, it contaminates you. And so he's saying here, look, this is what you do. Clean out the old leaven so that you can be a new lump. He's saying clean out the sin from your life so that you can be a new group. And so if you're like me, you hear that and you go, man, that is like a big deal. Like that's, that's really hard. That's a, that's a lot of work, you know. What's going to make me want to do that much stuff? Because I have a lot of sin in my life. What's going to be the motivation? And I'll say that's a good question. And see, the Bible doesn't leave us alone just with that first part of the pattern. If it did, it would be impossible for us to do that. Like we couldn't do that. You would be left alone, and you would not be able to do it. But the Bible doesn't leave us there. It comes along and tells us what to do, but then it also shows us the fuel, the driving force, the motivation to do it. And it does it by showing you what's true. So, what's the second part of the pattern here in this passage? You see what's true in these five words in verse 7. Here's the thing that's going to motivate you, that's going to that's inspire you to, to clean out painstakingly, thoroughly, the sin in your life. It's in five words. As you really are unleavened. As you really are unleavened. Paul doesn't say, look, clean that stuff out so that you can get your act together and God will finally love you. He doesn't say, clean that, clean the sin out of your life so that you can finally be the Christian that you claim to be and get serious about your spirituality. doesn't say that. He doesn't say, look, clean it out so that one day you will be the unleavened group. He says, as you really are unleavened. And what he's saying is that like, you already are the pure group, the, the, the uncontaminated group, the sinless group, the righteous group, the holy group. This is who you are. Are, not will be, are, right now. Well, how? How can Paul say that about them? How can he say that about believers? We see it in verse 7 at the end. It says, as you really are unleavened, for, or because... Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. If you remember the story of the Israelites, they go through all the plagues in Egypt. And the final plague, the turning point of the story, is when the final plague comes, and it's the angel of death. And what happened with the angel of death is that you would come, uh, the Israelites would come and take a lamb, and they would sacrifice it. They would take its blood, and they would put it on the doorposts. So that when the angel of death goes by their house, it would substitute the blood of that lamb for the blood of the firstborn child. So that lamb dies as a substitute for the firstborn child. And so that's what the Israelites did. And what Paul is saying here is Jesus is your Passover lamb. Jesus is your sacrifice in your place. He is the substitute for you. He's the one who trades positions with you. He's the one who experiences God's wrath for you. He's the one who goes and experiences punishment for your sin. He's the one who goes to hell when you deserve it and I deserve it. He goes and experiences all those things for us. But, it's even better, He substitutes us into His place so that your standing before God is one of righteousness in purity, in holiness, in beauty, so that God looks at you and says, I love you. I love you. I like you. You are valuable to me. You're significant. You are my child, and I love you. You're strong, and you're beautiful, and you're mine. And so our standing before God is this unleavened group, as this, um, as this new lump, as this sinless group, as this pure lump, because of what Jesus has done for us. Jesus has already accomplished this for us in his death and resurrection. Let me try to, let me try to illustrate it for you. Okay? Imagine that there's this huge paperwork mess up in the 2016 Olympics, and you have to run the 100 meter dash for the United States of America. Okay, You do. Right, I just had knee surgery last week, so I wouldn't be very good. But let's pretend you have to do that. Okay, you're at the starting at the starting gate, and you are looking around at these guys who are obviously incredible sprinters, and they're the best in the world. And you're there, standing there, and I, I love y'all, but I know that none of you could do that. <laughs> right? So you're freaking out. You're going, "Oh my gosh, I'm about to embarrass myself on worldwide TV, and I can't do this." And just then. Usain Bolt comes up to you, who's the fastest man in the world and holds all the records for it. He comes up to you with this shiny gold medal. And he says, hey, this is a gold medal for this race you're about to run. I already won it, and I'm giving it to you. It's yours. When you run the race, you will be the winner. You will be the one who gets to stand on the podium. You will be the one who has the winning gold medal around its neck. You will be the one who gets to have all of the praise. He would substitute himself. He would substitute his winning and give it to you. That's what Jesus has done for us. That's what Jesus has done for us. It's ours. It cannot be taken from you if you have faith in him. And see, at least for me, I think we forget this. A lot of times we think, okay, Jesus has gotten me in the group, and now I have to keep it going. It's like we have a country club mentality about Jesus. Um, Jesus pays my entry fee, but I have to pay my yearly dues. You know, like, and so what happens is then everything depends on us and how we perform or don't perform. And it leaves us either wallowing in despair, or it leaves us in arrogance and self-righteousness. And so when we're wallowing in despair, we feel shame, we feel guilt, We think my life is too big of a mess for God to ever love me. We think that I have struggled with the same sin for years and years, and how could God ever want me as His people? We say things like, I'm too screwed up for Jesus to die for me. Or we doubt. Right? Sometimes we think, I have done horrible, horrible things and I'm not sure that Jesus could ever cover all the things that I've done wrong. We think that I'm too big of a sinner and that God is incredibly disappointed in me. And we wallow in our pity and we wallow in our self-loathing. Or, we're on this side of where we're self-righteous and arrogant. Like I got this. I got this figured out. Are you kidding me? This is really easy. It's the Gospel. One, two, three. I mean, do you know who I am? Uh, for Jesus, obviously. I mean, all the things that I've done. For Jesus, right? And so what happens is you, we just start to think about how like we're better than other people. We look down at them and think that I'm somehow morally superior to them. And in both of these situations... If you're like me, you bounce back and forth between two. But in both of these situations, you're forgetting what Jesus has done for you and you're focusing on what you do and how you are your own Savior. You're forgetting how Jesus has come and been the sacrificial lamb for you. He's the Passover lamb sacrificed for you, like it says in verse 7. So the Gospel comes along and says, look, Jesus is the one who earns this identity for you. See, the Gospel is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. Jesus is the one who earns your identity for you. He's the one who earns this status of standing before God as the uncontaminated group, the unleavened group, the sinless group, the righteous group. Jesus accomplishes that for you. And so when we struggle with this, we go back to the beginning. We go back to what we have to understand, what's true about us. We have to go back to Jesus has already made this for us. Jesus has accomplished this for us. And we put our faith in that, and that's what fuels us to go obey. That's what fuels us to go do these things that he's called us to do. But it's going back and putting our faith in Jesus again. Not in our money, not in our jobs, not in our family, not in our spouses, not in our achievements. We put our faith in Jesus. Because he who is the one who accomplishes this. He's the one who makes us right with God put our faith in what's true, that we already are the unleavened group because of the sacrifice of Jesus. And see what that leads to? When you you really start to trust in that, is that it leads to freedom and rest. Freedom from always having to be the one who's right. Freedom from having to please everybody around you and make sure everyone's happy with you. Freedom from competing against everybody, comparing yourself all the time and feeling bad when you're not good enough and feeling arrogant when you're the best. It also gives you rest. It gives you rest from having to prove that you are somebody. It gives you rest because it shows you who you really are. And you can rest in that and enjoy that. And you can stop wearing masks around and pretending like you're someone that you're not. The beauty of the gospel says you can go and you can admit who you are and what you struggle with. But it's Jesus who is the one who goes and a sacrificed for you and makes you right before God. And you see in verse 8 the, the result that it has. It says, Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. You can actually be free and you can go and rest and be sincere. And actually enjoy who you are in Jesus. Because that's what God's, God wants, is for you to enjoy who He has made you. Enjoy what Jesus has done for you. So we see that's, what's, that's what fuels us. That's the truth about us that you see in this passage. At the end of the movie of Blood Diamond, Dia has his gun pulled on his dad, and he's ready to shoot him. And Solomon finds him, and he's, he's shocked and he's confused because he doesn't understand why this sweet little boy is now pulling a gun on his father who has loved him so well. And he steps close to him, and he says, Dia, what are you doing? And he starts to tell him who he is. He says, look, the, you are Dia, you're my good boy. And when he says that, he cocks the gun, getting ready to shoot him. He says, you're my good boy. You're the boy who loves to play soccer and loves school and your mother loved you and I love you and I know that they made you do bad things but you are not a bad boy. Come home with me and be my son. And just like I'm getting choked up. Dia gets choked up. His lip starts quivering and you see the tears coming down his face because he starts to remember who he really is he starts to remember what's true about him, that this is his Father who loves him. And it fuels him to put his gun down and leave all of that stuff behind and go home with his Father. And he, rem- he remembers what's true about him. And here's what's true about you. If you have faith in Jesus, Jesus, Paul has come along and saying here that Jesus has substituted Himself for your contaminated, sinful self and you are made righteous and pure, you're the unleavened group, so that you stand before God, and God says, I love you. You're my son, or you're my daughter. And see, when we, when we really start to understand that, when we really put our faith in that, and understand that that's true about us, that's when we will painfully, thoroughly, meticulously go and clean the sin out of our life, because we know what Jesus has done for us. We'll want to go and obey Him because we know He's been sacrificed for us, because He has substituted Himself for us. And see, it's only then when we realize that's who we really are, that our whole approach to sin will change, our whole approach to ourselves will change, our whole approach to life will change, and our whole approach to Jesus will change. See, this is the good news of the Gospel. This is the biblical pattern. What to do, fueled by what's true. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we can take for granted how much you love us and how much you've done for us in Jesus. It can become cold. We can become callous. Many of us are tired. Many of us have so many things going on in our lives that we feel spiritually dry. Lord, I pray that You would come and that You would show us again what's true about us. Show us again what Jesus has done for us and what that means for us. How He has given us a new identity. How He has come and made us this group that we do not deserve to be and yet we are, we are that group. Not because of anything that we've done, but because of what He has done. Lord, and I pray that that would be something that brings us joy brings us freedom, brings us rest. But also, Lord, I pray that it would motivate us to clean the sin out from our lives. That we would thoroughly rid ourselves of sin because of what You have done for us. Thank You, Lord, that You've given us Your Word. Thank You for this pattern that we can look at. Thank You for this passage. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.